certainly appreciate um, the words that have gone before us, and, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not real sure um, how to follow that, um, especially given uh, the emotional nature of, of how it began. But I appreciate the thought, um, and I think in some ways it plays uh, right into what is on my mind. Um, I appreciate the thought that Brother Jake put out there that 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 he had a, a, a desire to follow in the steps of his grandfather, but even more so a desire to follow in the steps of his heavenly father, right? And, and we are told uh, in the Word of God in one place that we're not only, uh, it doesn't say it this way, so please just bear with me. I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase if, I, if that's okay. We're not only saved in Christ's death, we're also saved by his life. And I think, I think one way, it may not be the only way to understand that statement, but one way to understand that statement is that as we look at his life, the way he lived it, the, the way he talked, the, the way he interacted with people, the way he reached out to the brokenhearted, the way he touched the poor, the way he, he didn't avoid the sick. When we look at the way he walked and behaved and we choose to follow in his steps, right? there is a salvation in that. There, there is a sense in which we can be saved by the life of Jesus Christ, not saved from hell to heaven, but certainly saved from the troubles and trials of, of disobedience. Being saved from chastisement for one, for one respect. So the reason I think that that plays into what I want to talk about this morning is, is I want to talk about something that the Bible literally, one of the few things, not, not I guess it's maybe not the only thing, but Boy, it is certainly one of the things that the Bible specifically says that we ought to do. And not only we ought to do it, but we ought to do it because God did it. It's one of the few that's so direct on that point that we ought to do it because God did it. And, and, and we ought to do it the way God did it. Okay? So, so, What I want to talk about is the topic of forgiveness. Now that seems like a very, very simple, simple subject. Everybody in the room knows we're supposed to forgive. Why should the preacher even have to discuss this? Well, I can tell you that if you spend some time studying this topic from a biblical perspective, it will become a lot more complex. And, and, it, and if that doesn't make it complex for you, then sit down with somebody. Sit down with somebody who's been seriously hurt by someone who did something tragically wrong. I'm not talking about somebody who who talked about you behind your back when you wasn't there. I'm talking about somebody that literally and and really hurt somebody. Maybe a drunk driver that crashed into someone's child's car and, and took the life of their child. Sit down with that parent and have that conversation with them on what it means to forgive and try to answer their questions assuming that parent is a Christian and a follower of Christ try to answer their questions about how they should exercise this and still be a follower of Jesus Christ and I guarantee you you'll realize that this is a far more complex issue than you think it is because you will have a very difficult time answering those questions. Or maybe talk to a parent of someone who committed suicide. 
about how they're struggling with trying to forgive their child or maybe a spouse who who had a spouse that committed suicide, how they're struggling trying to forgive that person for what they did. Try to have that conversation. And just see how difficult that is. And I know that that some of you here in this room and some of the folks that are out there uh, listening and watching over the internet, we have probably our largest Facebook crowd this morning we've had in a long time. Part of that's because we have some our own folks who weren't able to be here, but but it's still I can't account for all the people that are watching this morning with just that. So so I don't, I'm not sure what's going on why we have a larger crowd than normal online but but I know that by saying some of those things I just said I may have touched a sore spot there may be some people out there this morning that have experienced some of the very things I just described and you may be ready to turn this off because you don't want to hear it please don't do that please just try to hang with me for a little bit because I think somewhere in here even if you don't even if you can't agree with me on everything, even if you can't follow along, I mean, even if you can't execute on everything we're going to talk about, I think somewhere in here you'll find some element of peace and comfort. Because there's, there's people out there that have been seriously hurt. And they're, they're Christian folks, and they want to follow the Lord, so they want to forgive, but they don't know how, and they don't know what that will mean. And sometimes I think we've taught this in such a way that we've made it unattainable. For instance, let's start here. Forgive and forget. It's impossible. That is a lofty goal that is literally unattainable for the human being that has any brain cells at all. Because every event in your life has been imprinted upon your mind and even the things you've forgotten are still there and will come back from time to time. It's just the way our neurons work. They're like little mini computers. They collect data, information, and they hold on to it. So to say to somebody that the Bible says you should forgive and forget and to go use texts like, well, the Lord said he'd put our sins away as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against us anymore. Therefore, you should forgive and forget. First of all, that scripture is not dealing with the subject of forgiveness. And it also didn't say that he wouldn't remember them. It just said he wouldn't remember them against you anymore. There's a couple of problems there. You're creating a a lofty goal that no human being can attain, and I think that's unfair, unrealistic, and it's unbiblical. So let's talk about forgiveness. We're going to hit really close to some of the texts that Brother Jake started to read. Man, he got into Ephesians, and I thought, well, here it goes. I'm not used to people stealing my text, but he's about to do it. Brother Victor's been complaining about me, so I thought God's about to get even here uh, this morning. Uh, speaking of forgiveness, he's going to take vengeance on me. <laughs> so we're going to start in the, in the book of John, but we're going to go to the book of Ephesians real quick after that, okay? So I want to start in, in 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John chapter 2. I want to establish, first of all, that there is a forgiveness that is what we'll call vertical, And in that vertical forgiveness, God is the forgiver, and you and I are the forgivee. Okay? So forgiveness, in that case, flows from God to us. I want to establish the fact that it flows from God to us unconditionally irrespective of what we do in return. Now, there is a return we can have, and I want to show you that in a few moments, and some benefit we can receive if we return. But you notice I only drew the arrow one way for now. So let's look at John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2. Let's read verse 12. This will be our opening text. 
And it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, if you go on and read the context of this, you're going to read in the next verse that it says, I write unto you fathers. And you might say, well, this is only meant for the children in the room. And in some sense, when John wrote it, it certainly was intended that way. But whenever you see the phrase little children in the word of God, may I suggest to you that you should perk up and take notice because when it comes to our presence before God, we are children. This is my favorite, favorite subject in the Bible, that we're always children. We never grow up. And the reason it's my favorite is because my wife always wonders when I'm going to grow up. I have biblical cause not to. I'm just a child. Brother Victor appreciated that one. My silliness just never goes away. I'm just, you know, I love dad jokes as much as anything in the world, and it just kills my kids. They roll their eyes at me when I make one. But I love them. I find corny stuff funny. I'm like that with movies. I'm like that. You know, I love the old slapstick style, tripping over things, people falling down type comedy. Right? I mean, I could have sit and watched the Three Stooges forever. Wouldn't bother me a bit. So when you see that phrase, little children, that's talking about us. Maybe in the greater context of this particular scripture, it was talking specifically to a young group of people. But brother, let me tell you something. Little children, that's, that's me. He says, he says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And, and they certainly are. Your sins are forgiven you uh, for his name's sake. So Jake read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I'd like for you to go on to verse 7 to establish a fact. How did this forgiveness come about? Why are our sins forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ? Why are you forgiven of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ? How did that happen? I used to try to separate the concept of the payment for our sin from the forgiveness of our sin. And that's because I always thought of our sin strictly in the terms of a financial debt. So I would always use banking analogies to try to explain it away. And I would ask the question in my heart that if my sin, if my debt was forgiven by the bank, there is no reason for it to be paid. Make sense? If, if I got a letter in the mail that said my debt had been forgiven and then two years later I got a letter in the mail that said uh, you haven't paid this debt, I would be confused. And if my debt was paid, I see no reason for it to be forgiven. Make sense? Problem is this isn't a financial transaction. And that analogy just does not hold up in the circumstance of what the Bible says. And you might say, well, it makes perfect sense to me. But let's make sure we understand that there is an element within which in this, in this spiritual transaction that God is involved with this vertical transaction of forgiveness, that forgiveness and payment are intertwined with one another. So how do I know that? Let's go to Ephesians for real quick. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to read verses 7 and 8. It says, in whom, in whom, who's the whom? Jesus Christ. Jake's already said that while he was up here a while ago. Brother Jake mentioned that. In whom? Jesus Christ. In whom, he says. In whom we have redemption through his blood, comma, if I said, hey, There's Brother Marty, comma, the pastor. Is Brother Marty and the pastor two things in a list? Or am I simply elaborating on who Brother Marty is? I'm elaborating right there. I'm renaming 
the, the, the noun. I'm simply just giving us further detail. So notice what he's doing. That's exactly what's happening here grammatically. He says, in whom we have redemption through the blood, comma, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is the payment where Jesus buys us back from our own bondage, from our own sin. And that redemption, that payment is the forgiveness of sins. Notice it didn't just say sin either. It said sins. It is everything. You said, Brother Marty, do I need to be, do I need, to, do I need somebody to pay for my sinful nature, my sin in Adam? Yes, you do. But Marty, do I need somebody to pay for my sins? Yes, you do. Both have to be cleared from the ledger, both in payment and forgiveness. <laughs> and praises be to God, the Bible tells us that that was done. We don't need any more detail than that. We can try to dig deeper and try to come up with an analogy that makes sense, but the reality is... No matter whether we can come up with one or not, it does not matter whether we can come up with an, an analogy that describes this. What matters is this is what the Bible teaches. And just in case you're worried that maybe that's not clear enough, let's go to the book of Colossians for a second. And let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Well, let's back up to verse 13 where he says, "...who hath delivered us from the power of darkness..." and hath translated us into the kingdom of his Son. And we could talk about that for a long time, but let's listen to what it says next. In whom, he says, we have, in whom we have, listen, the redemption, uh, whom we have redemption through his blood, comma, even, even, listen, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice the equating again, or the intertwining, if you will, of the concept of the payment for our sin, along with the concept of us also being forgiven. Not just our sin, but our sins. You say, well... What do we do with this? How do we deal with it? Well, maybe I should establish one more fact first. And we'll establish that in Colossians chapter 2. Just how far does this forgiveness extend? We talked about when we talked about depravity, right? Remember when we talked about total depravity, we talked about the extent of it. We talked about how it extended to every part and parcel of the human being. It affected our body. It affected our soul. It affected our spirit. And therefore, we were completely depraved. The extent was extensive, for lack of a better way to put it. Huh? So what about this? What about this forgiveness? Yeah, we've been forgiven of our sins. Well, this vertical forgiveness, let's, let's talk about that. So let's go to Colossians, if you would, chapter 2 for a second. And, and let's, let's jump down to verse uh, uh, 13 where it says, And you, that's you. It took me a lot to figure out, by the way. That's you. And you. That's you. That's me. That's you. And you. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh... Hath he, this is one of the things Brother Jake was talking about, one of the things he's thankful for, <coughs> that we were once dead and, and at some point in our life, either, either uh, immediately after conception or all the way up to immediately before we breathe our last breath, somewhere in between, this is going to happen to every child of grace, right? He says, and you, uh, he says, hath he, hath he quickened together with him? Listen, listen to this. Having, I love the fact this is a past tense, by the way, having forgiven you all. Did you hear that? All 
trespasses. Some people try to say that God has forgiven us of everything except for the sin of unbelief. And if we can just overcome our unbelief, then we can be saved. The Bible says that he hath, even before and at the moment up to the time that we're born again, even at the moment he quickens us together with him, he hath already, before that happened, he hath forgiven us all trespasses. He's, he's forgiven us every sin we could ever commit even before we were able to not sin. Because somebody who's not born again can't, can't do anything but sin. That's what the Bible teaches. They're, 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 they're in bondage to sin up until regeneration, up until they're born again. They're in bondage. They may do things that look good, but they come out of a heart of selfishness. They certainly don't come out of a heart of faith. And the Bible says the only thing that pleases God is what comes out of faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Right? Okay. So this vertical forgiveness that we have from God is complete. It is, its extent is extensive. Huh? Every single sin we've committed, every ounce of sin that we bear uh, due to the due to the fact that we are descendants of Adam, has been wrapped up in this redemption and forgiveness model. And there's nothing left to be forgiven. Nothing. You may not feel good. You may not feel righteous. You may not think you're good. But God has forgiven Everything. This is the good news of the gospel, by the way. So listen. God has forgiven everything you've ever done through the redemption of his son. Not the redeeming of his son, but through the redemption that comes from his son. Through Jesus buying us back by his own blood on the cross of Calvary, we are forgiven. So that's the vertical aspect of forgiveness. We'll get a little bit later. There, there, well, we'll just do it now. There is a return. Anybody tell me how you can actually, because quite frankly, God forgave you before you could even, before you even believed in him. God forgave you before you were capable of doing anything but sin. So, so if God forgave you before any of that, did you do anything to get that forgiveness? No, no. Uh, so that means God forgave you without you repenting. Right? Everybody else should nod, yeah? Okay. God forgave it. So, so we gotta learn, we're going to learn something from that in a little bit with regard to our own forgiveness. Okay, the horizontal aspect of that we'll talk about. But I want you to get this down. God forgave you, hath forgiven you even before you were born again. Therefore, God forgave you without you repenting. So the, so the, the, the God to you portion of this forgiveness chain wasn't dependent upon your repentance. Just want to establish that. But there is something that is dependent upon your repentance, Right? This is repentance, by the way. Can anybody tell me what is dependent upon our repentance? Any idea? That's a good way to put it. Good conscience toward God. You're getting close to the words I'm, I'm looking at. A relationship, our fellowship with him, absolutely. You're, you're all dancing around the idea. Pardon? Obedience, yeah. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is that we have no experience of that forgiveness without repentance in this life. What's it say in 1 John? 1 John, I think it's chapter 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful to what? Forgive us 
Does that mean up until the time that we confessed Him we weren't forgiven? No, because we've already seen that if we've been born of the Spirit of God, we were forgiven before that. So what's, what can He be talking about? This is what we talk about when we talk about studying. You have to study the Word of God. You can't just read particular verses and put them on the refrigerator and, and, and ignore the context of Scripture as a whole. So, so how do we reconcile these two scriptures? One that says we're not forgiven until we confess, and one that says we're forgiven before we ever have the ability to confess. How do we reconcile them? We reconcile them based on the fact that there is the, the active actions of God to forgive, and then there is our actual experience or, or, or when that forgiveness is manifested to us. Those are two different things. And oftentimes the Bible talks about our experience of things and the manifestation of it as though it were the actual thing happening at that time. It's when forgiveness becomes vital to us. If I confess my sins, it says he that is, he is faithful to forgive me of, of my sins and then to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. In other words, he's faithful to not only forgive me, but to make me feel forgiven. So this is more about our experience. This part here is more about our earthly experience. The, the, the part that goes back from us to God when God has already forgiven us, our reaction to that, our repentance, is more about allowing us the opportunity to experience here in time an eternal truth that's already been established on our behalf. Make sense? It's a lot like Abraham when the Bible says that by his belief, his, his, his confidence, his faith that God would deliver him a son, that it was counted to him for righteousness, and that righteousness was imputed to him here in this life. The righteousness that was imputed to him was the righteousness of Christ that was purchased for him on the cross many years later, but it was an experience of that righteousness here in this life. For nearly every eternal thing that Christ God did for us, we can experience that in some way. We call that the earnest of our expectation. That's what the Bible calls it. It's a down payment, if you will. I don't like that term, but you know know what I'm saying? We We get to experience the things that God has done for us eternally here in this world. That's powerful, and it's meaningful. It gets us through things like 9 11 It gets us through things like the suicide of a loved one. It gets us through things like one of our children being taken from this world by a drunk driver or or in a crime. Every day we see people on TV now, it seems like, whose children have been murdered in the streets, and we see parents weeping and crying, and we are quick to judge and say, well, you should have had more control of your kid. And I tell you, there may be some truth to that. But our first reaction should be to the, to the pain. Well, my children may not die at the hands of some crazy person in a, in a, on a backwater street in downtown Atlanta because they know better than to be there at that time of night, but there's nothing keeping some drunk driver from running one of them over while they're out on their way to school. Or work. And the pain would be the same. Be heart wrenching. When I was a freshman in college, I had a first cousin. He was adopted by my mom's brother. We were both athletes. He was a better athlete than me. He was bigger, he was stronger, he was faster. He was younger. But I had stayed back a year, so we were in the same grade. So during my my freshman year of college, well, before our freshman year of college, my first cousin won a scholarship to play linebacker for for Western Kentucky University, Division I football. I mean, it's not top 25 Division I football, but still, it's D1 football. He's a big boy. Kim and her buddy got in a car during the summer before that school year started, and his buddy was drunk. And they hit a light pole. 
when the pole went through the passenger side. And my cousin was killed instantly. They, uh, the school, Western Kentucky, decided at their first football game that they would give the parents a jersey with his number on it. And they just couldn't do it. I went out on the field and received that jersey during my freshman year in college. We were that, we were that close. We were, the, we were good friends at the time. I mean, we were, we were mean as snakes at one point. We got in a lot of trouble as kids whenever we were together because we found things to do to get in trouble. We, there was an old, old uh, uh, I don't know why this is the case, but there was an old chicken house between my house and my grandma's that had glass windows in it. Notice I said had. Because he and I got into a throwing contest with walnuts. And we broke every window out of that thing you could find. Uh, I didn't sit down for a while. <laughs> And neither did he. But I loved Jeff. And we were, we were tight as cousins. So I understand a little bit, I guess, of the pain that comes with those kind of things. It comes with those kind of things. So listen now, let's talk a little bit about a different form of forgiveness. Let's talk about the horizontal form. And this really involves you and I. We deal with one another here on a daily basis as we deal with others around us, as we deal with those who hurt us and harm us in certain ways or talk about us. How do we deal with this forgiveness? Well, let's talk about that a little bit. The Bible has a lot to say about that, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. But I do want to go back to the book of Ephesians. Since we've already established that Ephesians chapter 1 sort of laid out this groundwork that... uh, that we are forgiven. It laid out this groundwork that, it, that in him we had redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want to take you a little bit further, and I want to go uh, down to Ephesians chapter 4 for a second. And I want you to notice that within the same chapter, which this is the book of Ephesians, is a book of ecclesiology, if you want to, if you want to look at it that way. It's about the church for the most part. So it's talking about us uh, in a lot of ways. So let's go to chapter 4. Let's jump down to verse Oh, let's start in verse 30. Let's start in verse 30 where it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I want you to hold that up there. With all malice. We're going to hang on to that word because it's going to become part of something very important to us in a few minutes. With all malice. Do you might know what malice means? Anger. Anger. It's a particular kind of anger, by the way. It's an anger that tends to what? Vengeance. Vengeance. Murder. We call them, actually, we use, actually use it in legal terms, by the way. Uh, in some areas, we have laws against what? Malice murder. It's murder out of anger. Okay, so malice. Hang on to that a little bit. We kind of get an idea, a feeling for what that's like. It says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Wow. And notice that, that uh, Apostle Paul makes a connection here between what he's trying to instruct these church members to do, and he connects it back. Boy, it's after 12 o'clock. I didn't know that. He's trying to connect it back to what he said in the first chapter which was that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he says that that you need to forgive one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So number one point I want to establish right now is that God forgave you before you repented. Did you know that your forgiveness of other people is not dependent upon whether or not they have said, I'm sorry? Does not matter. I also want you to understand something else, though. Forgiveness does not mean the normalization of that relationship. That's a problem that a lot of people think. They think I can't forgive them because I can't trust them. 
doesn't mean that the relationship has to be normalized. I've been challenged with this many times in my life where I hurt somebody or they think or they perceive that I've hurt them or they've hurt me. And, and I've forgiven them, but I haven't normalized the relationship. And they claim I'm not forgiving them. They think that they should be able to do whatever they want as long as they say they're sorry afterward. That's just not so. So let's talk a little bit about what forgiveness is. Biblically, what is it? What does it mean? What does it mean when we say that God has forgiven us of our sins? What does it mean when we say we forgive somebody else? I'm not going to ask you for a bunch of definitions. We could sit here and talk about this all day. I was going to do that, but we've run out of time. So I'm going to give you my definition. And I pulled this a little bit from dictionaries. I kind of went and looked at the word. What does it mean? And then I looked at the context of how it's used in Scripture, and particularly this particular Scripture where it says on either side of it, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away. Notice it says be put away. That's an action. It's something you do. You put it away, right? Be put away with all malice. And then he says, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is not a list. There's no and. There's no conjunctions here. It's further clarification of what he means by being kind to one another and being tenderhearted. It means to forgive. Okay? This is forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So the first thing we need to understand is that our forgiveness for one another has to be of the same quality and nature of God's forgiveness for us. And we're kind of given a definition, at least a functional definition, here in Ephesians. It may not be a theoretical definition of forgiveness. It may not be very satisfying to you if you're a linguist and want to know more about words, but at least we have a functional one. And the functional definition is all about putting away that anger, that malice, that, that evil speaking, and, and being kind and tenderhearted toward that other person. So here's my definition. Forgiveness is the putting aside. Notice I didn't say eliminating. And I didn't say that because Ephesians didn't either. So put them away. It's like putting them in a box. Have you ever put something away in your house? I have. Have you ever put something away so that you'd know where it was at? How long have you been looking for it? It's amazing, isn't it? That's the way you need to put this away. You need to put it away so you know where it's at. Right? Because you'll never find it again. That's one way to look at it. But he says putting it away. We need to put it aside. So I said putting aside the feelings of anger and resentment such that we are no longer acting toward one another out of vengeance or revenge, but rather out of love. That's forgiveness. Does that say anything about normalizing the relationship? No. We may or we may not normalize the relationship after we've forgiven somebody, that's a different decision. But I do want you to understand, I just said it was a different decision, which is implying to you, if you didn't catch it, that forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. It's a decision you get to make. You can't say, well, I can't forgive them because I just, I just can't. Yes, you can. It's a decision you make. And I'm not saying that because I want you to believe me. I'm saying that because that's what the Bible says. It says you should put away these things. It's the right thing to do. Why is it the right thing to do? Because if you don't, you have no basis upon which to expect God to forgive you. Did you hear it? Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. This is that chapter that has the model prayer. Most of you probably know what I'm driving at and where I'm going. And I'll try to wrap this up real quick, but I don't want to leave it where it's at. 
Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6 and let's look at verse 14 and 15. For it says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Remember, we talked about this forgiveness. We talked about it in terms of both the the actual forgiveness that we know we have, that we got before even we were born again. And then we talked about the forgiveness that we get as a result of our behaviors. And that forgiveness is not the actual forgiveness that was extended to us, but rather the, the experience of it. We're actually experiencing it. And that's kind of what this is talking about too. But notice what it says. It says, It says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Did you know that that, those two verses follow immediately on the end of Jesus' model prayer that he gives to his disciples when he's teaching them to pray. And he, he, he yeah, there were a lot of things in that model prayer. Do we all agree on that? There was, there was the lesson about first that we honor and praise God, uh, hallowed be thy name. And then there was asking for our daily bread, not, not for the next month's worth or the next year's worth, but our daily bread. And, and you know, there was, there was about giving glory to God, uh, you know. And then in the middle of that was the thing where we said, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's the one thing that when Jesus got, said amen, that's the one thing he chose to explain. That ought to mean something to you. That ought to tell you something. He says, the reason I told you to pray that you would forgive, that you would be forgiven as you forgive Notice that's what we're praying, by the way. When you go to God and pray for forgiveness, you can only, you're only allowed, by the way, you're only allowed to ask for forgiveness in the same level that you're willing to give it. Well, that's tough. That's the only way you're allowed to do it. Is you, you can only say, God, forgive me the same way I've forgiven other people. You realize what you're asking for? Hmm. It's a challenge. And Jesus says, the reason I gave you that prayer that way is because if you forgive other people, God will forgive you. Not that God doesn't forgive your sins in His Son and His work on the cross, but if you're not willing to forgive other people, you will never experience that forgiveness here in this life. That's what He's saying. And that's important. Very, very important. If we don't forgive others, we can't expect forgiveness in return. I also wanted to call your attention to one particular story that's told in the book of Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 18. It's one you're probably all extremely familiar with, but it starts around verse 21 when it says that the Peter that Peter came to him and said, came to the Lord and said, how many times, how oft, he says, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? This is something a lot of people question. Okay? I've forgiven this person, but they keep doing the same thing over and over again. How many times am I supposed to forgive them of what they've done to me? Don't forget that we're not talking about the normalization of the relationship. We're not saying you you have to act like it didn't happen. We're saying you can no longer act toward that person with malice in your heart and vengeance on your mind. You have to treat them with love. And sometimes treating people with love means cutting off at least portions and parts of that relationship so that they understand the damage that they have done. That's not vengeance. We do that as a church. If someone behaves in a certain way, violates certain tenets of the Word of God, particularly those that say that if you do this, you shall not inherit the kingdom, we cut them off from membership in our church. People think that's harsh. No, that's biblical. Why do we do that? Is it because we want rid of them? No, it's because we hope that through the loss of the fellowship with the local body that they will come to the realization of how wrong they are and that they will come back and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I see what you mean now. Same thing in personal relationships. Sometimes we have to cut certain things off and that is an act of love in and of itself. 
But if we're doing it out of anger and we're doing it out of malice and we're doing it out of hate, then we've got a different problem. We haven't forgiven yet. You can't cut that, cut that relationship down until you've forgiven and then you can act toward them in love. You've got to be able to put aside that malice, that anger, that evil speaking. As long as you're talking bad about somebody, you haven't forgiven them yet. You understand that? As long as you're spreading rumors about them, you haven't forgiven them yet. As long as you're in the gossip column, you haven't forgiven them yet. So remember that. Remember that. Listen, in Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked that question. Jesus saith unto him, I say, or well, Peter asked the question, says, Am I supposed to do it seven times? Jesus says, I say unto thee until seven times, not, not seven times. He says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So you need a book. I would suggest an accounting ledger because you're going to need one. And you need to number some rows. One through 490. One through 490. That's seven times 70, right? And every time that person offends you and you forgive them, you need to write it down on one row. And when you get that ledger full to line 490, you can quit. But if you're like me, you'll lose that ledger somewhere along the way and you'll have to start over. You'll get tired of writing it down every time you write it down. And you'll just quit doing it and you'll have to start over. But notice, he goes on and tells them a story. He says, therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was, was brought unto him that owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He didn't even ask him to go ahead and go work for it and bring it back. He just said, I'm going to forgive that debt. Right? It says, but the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So the man that was forgiven, that 10,000 talent debt, says he went out and found one of his fellow servants, um, and, and, and the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. 10,000 talents versus a hundred pennies. That's like $10,000 versus a hundred cents. Okay? Relatively speaking. He says, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest. Wow. Pretty violent. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like the same thing that guy told his master just a little while ago. He says, and he would not. He had just been forgiven a $10,000 debt, and he's not willing to forgive a $1 debt. That's what we're talking about here. but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Now, I've never quite understood debtor's prison in all my life, which is people get thrown in jail until they can pay the debt. I'm not exactly sure how they're supposed to earn the money to pay that debt, but that's the way it works. We have similar things today, by the way, and we can talk about that afterward. I'll explain some of that to you, one of the, one of the circumstances where we have that happen today. He says, then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant. So the master who forgave the 10,000 talent debt found out what happened. And he says, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me, just because you wanted it. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy servant, fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that he was due unto him. 
So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. In other words, if you're not willing to forgive, there is a penalty to be paid. And you're only required to forgive. This is what he's telling Peter, by the way. You're only required to forgive somebody until the burden of the debt that they have incurred against you is at least equal to, if not greater, than the burden of the debt you have incurred against God. Did you hear that? As long as the sins they've committed against you are less than the sin that you've committed against God, then you're required to forgive. You're required to forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgave all. God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us all our sins. Now, the relationship between us and God will not be normalized until the resurrection. And it won't be normalized until we are what? Changed. There's a good lesson for you. We were regenerated. We were forgiven before we were regenerated. But our relationship with God will not be completely normalized until we're changed. That's a good pattern, by the way, for forgiveness on the horizontal level. You can forgive somebody. Put away the malice. Put away the anger. Put away the vengeance out of your heart. Box it up. Set it aside. Act toward them. I didn't say you had to feel toward them. I said act toward them in a tender-hearted, loving, and kind way. And if, if they're not repentant, how we react if they're repentant is a different issue. But if they're not repentant, then we don't have to normalize that relationship until such time as they are changed. Make sense? That's forgiving the way God forgave. May we be as forgiving as God was who was willing to give his son on the cross to pay for our sins.